Some of y'all don't look awake yet, but we're in Psalm 23. And in Psalm 23, here's what we said. We said the word psalm simply means this, to pluck a stringed instrument. You can forget that. Here's what I want you to know is that that book you have open is basically a big old song book, a song of poetry. That's the kind of literature that it is. We've called it this. This helps me remember it, that it's God's playlist for your life. So it's it's an easy way for me to remember that the book of Psalms is kind of God's playlist for my life, that I can go and find the, the rawness of human emotion colliding with the realness of God, and there's a robust faith that kind of ignites as a result of that. And so all we're doing, five weeks, same psalm, Psalm 23. And what we've been doing each service as we've gone through this psalm, this is our third week, is read it out loud together. I'd love to do that again. I'd love for you to join me. Let's do that again. Let's throw it on the screen. Everybody out loud together. Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Very, very, very familiar psalm. Some of you have it memorized. Some of you grew up in Sunday school, and you're like, man, that's the psalm we did. Some of you are like, man, that is the part of the Bible that is on a plaque in my grandma's house, or whatever it might be. It is such a familiar psalm, probably the most familiar psalm in the whole book of Psalms, which is why I've said every week that it is so familiar that it's dangerous. There are a lot of people who know it, can recite it, go to it for comfort, love reading it on a plaque, love reading it when people are going through hard times, and yet we can become so familiar with it that we never plumb the depths of it to understand the profound power in it. And it's dangerous, and it's dangerous because it gets distorted. Of all the Psalms, I think this one gets distorted. You're saying, what do you mean by that? This Psalm gets distorted because it gets misapplied and misappropriated. Here's what I mean. All kinds of people everywhere, and maybe you're one, think this psalm is for everybody in any situation, in every circumstance, and it's not. And it's not. And it's like that left some of us a little unsettled when I first said it, and that's okay. But we said you can't really understand Psalm 23, and I would even say experience it unless you realize certain things. And so the first week we said, well, what are those things? We said, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. We gotta understand if Psalm 23 is ever gonna pop for us, I gotta embrace the truth, the reality that we, you, me, all of us together, we're all like sheep. All of us are just like sheep. Now, here's what we said. If you weren't here, we said, that's not real flattering because sheep aren't all that bright. We said sheep easily get led astray. Sheep get dirty, can't clean themselves. Sheep don't have great vision. And so we said it's not a flattering picture of us, but when we really dug in and took a look at our own lives and were really honest, we said, eh, yeah, I'm kind of like sheep. <laughs> like if I really look at my life, I'm kind of like a sheep. That's kind of like how I roll. And so because I'm like a sheep, we said this, that you, me, we all need a shepherd. And so therefore, we love this psalm because it says, the Lord is my shepherd. Listen close. This left many of you unsettled, but the Lord isn't everybody's shepherd. The Lord isn't everybody's shepherd. He wants to be this morning. He wants to be your shepherd. He wants to be, but he's not everybody's shepherd. In fact, you won't understand Psalm 23 and the Lord will never be your shepherd until you recognize several things. And we said, we got to begin by accepting, acknowledging that the shepherd became a lamb. 
Like you'll never understand Psalm 23 till you understand the psalm right in front of it, which is Psalm 22, that Jesus, the shepherd, became the lamb who was sacrificed in my place. That's something, we call that the gospel. It's called good news. That's the story of God, that Jesus took your place. All that crazy stuff that you came in here carrying, all the regret, the dirt, the grime, the, the stink of your life, the shame that no one else knows about, he died for that. But then we said, the Lord is my shepherd, whatever makes sense to me, unless I make the shepherd my Lord, right? And we said, what, what, what Jesus wants more than anything is when I acknowledge that he's the Savior, he wants to be the Lord of my life, he wants control. He wants control of my life. And we said, well, that sounds kind of weird. That sounds militant until I realize the shepherd knows me more than I know myself, loves me more than I can imagine, knows what I don't know, sees what I can't see. And he says, why wouldn't you trust me? Why, like, why wouldn't you trust me with your life? And then I can count on him to satisfy me, that it's from him I get my identity, my security. You see, Psalm 23 will never make sense till you acknowledge the shepherd is the lamb. He wants to be your Lord, and he wants to be the one to satisfy you. And then when I realize that and embrace that, say yes to Jesus, here's what it says. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. Here's what we said, that shepherd wants my body to be rested. He made me to rest. We talked about this last week. And many of you are like, wow, I never knew that, didn't know that, I needed that, but our shepherd wants us to be rested. But then he says something interesting, he refreshes, or the word is restores my soul. And we said, that's important, many of you talked to me after last week because we're exhausted in our soul, because many of us in this room carry baggage. We got all kinds of emotional, spiritual, relational baggage. In particular, many of us carry either guilt or grudges. And our shepherd is the only one who can restore our soul. But then he says this. He's the one who's going to guide me or lead me on the right path for his name's sake. He wants my mind to be renewed. He's the one who wants to lead. He wants me to trust his voice. He wants me to obey, to follow. Why? Because he knows me better than I know myself. He loves me more than I could ever imagine. But then there's something that shifts, and I just want to spend the rest of our time on one verse. One verse today, and it's verse 4. Throw it on the screen. Here's what it says. Even though I walk through the darkest valley. Now, if you have your Bible open and you have a New International Version or a New Living Translation, that's kind of what it says. Some of you all have a Bible that's a little older than that. It's a King James or might have this Bible that says ESV or New American Standard. And so it says this, that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of, what's it say? Of death. Some of you memorized it that way. All they're doing there is trying to make sense of these two Hebrew words about shadow and death and valley. And so, so they're just trying to make sense. And they're saying, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. It's your rod and your staff. They are what bring me comfort. As I was reading about this, I actually came across the pastor who tried to describe the actual place that they think he may have been referring to, the valley of the shadow of death. It was a steep, narrow canyon where the sun only hit the bottom of the canyon when it stood directly over the canyon. It was full of crevices where robbers and predators could hide. It was a place that shepherds would have led their sheep to go from one pasture land to the other pasture land. What's David doing? Here's what he's doing. And here's where I need you to dial in. All David's doing when he uses this language is he's trying to paint a verbal picture for you. That's all he's doing. In this verbal picture, he uses the word, it's a valley, it's dark, it's the shadow of death valley. And when the Bible uses that imagery, 
David wants to paint the picture of times in our life that are times full of trouble, stress, disappointment, depression, fear, anxiety. Anybody in the room ever face any of that stuff? Then this is for you. Because he says, even though I walk through that valley. And there's several things about that dark valley that I think are important for us to understand if we're going to get the promise, the truth, the hope, and the treasure of this passage. I want you to write these down. I think they'll make sense to you. First is this. You and I, we can expect dark valleys. We can expect dark valleys. Dark valleys are not optional. They're inevitable. Dark valleys are not an elective course. They're required. All of us either have or will face time of trouble, struggle, stress, times that we could somehow define as dark times in our life. There's an author that I quote many times. I love how he puts it. His name's Tim Keller. He says, no matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we have put together a good life, no matter how hard we've worked to be healthy, wealthy, and comfortable with friends and family, and successful with our career, listen to this, something, something will inevitably try to ruin it. No amount of money, power, planning can prevent bereavement, illness, betrayal, disaster, and a host of other troubles from entering your life. Human life can be fatally fragile and subject to forces beyond your power to manage. Life can be tragic. Life can be hard. No one is immune. We don't need to go to Tim Keller. Here's what Jesus said. Look what Jesus said in John 16. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Look what he says. In this world, say it out loud with me, you will have trouble. One of his followers' name was Peter. He has something interesting to say in 1 Peter 4. He says, dear friends, I don't want you to be surprised. Surprised when? I don't want you to be surprised when you're facing the fiery ordeal that's come on you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. It's inevitable. His half-brother James had something interesting to say. He said, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, not if, but he says, whenever you face trials of many kinds. You see, here's the deal. It's part of life. Dark valleys are part of life. We are fellow travelers And part of our travels in life take us through dark valleys. It's just part of living. It's part of life. But there's something else that I think is interesting about dark valleys. I want you to write this down, that you and I don't schedule our dark valleys, right? No one schedules sufferings. No one plans out their pain. By the way, if you do, come see me afterwards. I'd like to talk with you, right? We have a group just for you, okay? Nobody... I don't care who wakes up and says, you know, today would be a great day for a bad day. Nobody does that. There's nobody who plans to battle cancer. I think it'd be great to battle cancer. Nobody plans to kind of walk through an automobile accident. Nobody plans. I think it'd be great if I had a miscarriage. Nobody does that. Nobody schedules stress. Nobody schedules anxiety. Nobody schedules their depression. Nobody does that. No one puts crisis on their calendar. In fact, there's an interesting story in the Bible. Some of you have heard the story about a guy named Job. I like how the story begins. Job 1 begins this way, one day. Oh, that sounds like two words you just kind of read over, right? We don't spend a lot of time on that, but one day. One day like any other day, right? One, one day like today. <laughs> just one day. That's how it starts. 
when Job's sons and daughters were fast feasting and drinking wine at the older brother's house, the bottom fell out. Because if you read the rest of the story, here's what happens. One day, while they were doing that, all of a sudden somebody comes and says, hey, Job, I got something to tell you. All your animals were stolen. It's like, man, that's kind of bad, right? That's like a bad day, but it's not over. Because on that one day, one day like any other day, they seem like you're having a good day. You gotta say, not only have your animals been stolen, but, but the farm hands that you take care of, they've been killed. Oh, and, and, and then another messenger comes and says, hey, your shepherds and your sheep all burned up. I don't know about you, but at that point in time, like, if I was Job, I'd be thinking, like, it might be a good day to go back to bed and start over, right? Till another messenger comes and says, oh, by the way, on that day, that one day, that one day like any other day, all your kids have been killed. So I love how raw and real the Bible is. Like, this dude had a bad day. And this guy had no answers for why he was having a bad day. The fact is, you and I don't plan schedule our bad days. We don't plan our crisis. We don't schedule our suffering. And because we don't, we got to make plans before it comes because it's inevitable. But there's something else about dark valleys that I think are really important. Are really, really important. I want you to write it down. All, all of our dark valleys are not the same. All of our dark valleys are not the same. The dark valley that you may be going through right now at this moment may be very, very different than the dark valleys that I've ever walked through and walking through. You see, there are dark valleys that I walk through because I've made bad choices in my life, and so I go through a dark valley. And then other times there's dark valleys that you and I walk through for no particular reason at all. Like, it doesn't seem to be any answer to it. It's like inexplicable. There's more questions than answers. And all of our dark valleys are different. In fact, as I'm looking out at you, I, I imagine to myself, I know some of your stories and many of you, I don't know all of your stories. But I can tell, I've been doing this long enough, that some of you, more than likely, in a room this size, are walking through a dark valley. For some of you, maybe it's a dark valley that is a financial dark valley. You just found out your job you lost it. Or, or maybe your dark valley is, you know, the bills always seem to outweigh the income. And we're right at the brink of bankruptcy and we don't know what to do and who to go to. And so we're walking through a dark valley. Others of you, man, that's not your dark valley because you're walking through a relational dark valley. For some of you, it's a, a marital dark valley because she just told you she wants out. She wants a divorce, and you're like, I can't believe, and we've been married, and what? Others of you, it's an emotional dark valley that you're walking through because maybe even last week's sermon, some of you talked to me, it kind of like drudged up things in you. And, and you find yourself in a dark valley because there's been things that have happened to you, and all of a sudden, you're not, I don't know how to process all of this stuff. And some of you, it's a physical dark valley because you went this last week or the week before, and you simply went to the doctor for a checkup, and he said, hey, I got something to tell you. And all of a sudden, you find yourself walking in a dark valley. Some of you, oddly and strangely enough, are walking through a spiritual dark valley. You're like, I'm in church, but the person that I have the most contention with, and I'm the angriest with, just happens to be God. And so you find yourself in a dark valley. All of our dark valleys are not the same. The person next to you, their dark valley is different than the person back here, different than mine. And because, listen close, really dial in now, I really need you to hear what I'm going to say, particularly if I ever meet you in a dark valley I'm walking in. 
Because the fact is, because all of our valleys are not the same, it tells me two things. The first thing it tells me is this, is there's not just one answer for every dark valley. You need to write that down. You see, the fact that all of our dark valleys are different tells me this, there's no band-aid answer to all the dark valleys that we face. There's no one-size-fits-all answer. Dark valleys are different. There's nothing more frustrating than meeting somebody who comes up to you and realizes you're going through a dark valley. They reach in their back pocket for a Band-Aid answer that they share with everybody walking through a dark valley. And you know what I'm saying is true because chances are you've had it happen to you. I've been in the room when somebody's walking through a dark valley and somebody well-meaning comes and they pull out whatever that Band-Aid is and says, well, you must be doing something wrong and God is trying to get your attention baloney because good people and bad people alike walk through dark valleys sometimes my dark valleys are a result of choices that i've made and sometimes stay with me because this is tender some of you are there right now there is no rational reason that i can get my head around and there's nothing worse than somebody coming and giving a one-size-fits-all answer to my dark valley that they know very little about, which leads me to the second thing it tells me. There's not just one answer. And comparing our valleys doesn't help that much. It's rarely beneficial. There's nothing more frustrating than for you to share the personal struggle and experience of your dark valley only to have somebody flippantly say, I know exactly how you feel. No, you don't. You might be able to relate somewhat, but this is a very personal, unique valley that I'm walking through. I stood in this room yesterday with a man that I love right here. I put my arm around him as he shared with me what it was like to begin a journey without his wife, who he's known for 60 years. I hugged him. We cried. We... I have no idea what it's like to lose a wife, let alone be married for that long. I could love him. I tried to help him. I could pray with him. I don't know exactly how he feels. There's nothing worse than somebody coming after you share your personal valley and struggle and them looking at you and say, oh, you think that's bad. Let me tell you about my... You ever had that happen? And in one sentence, minimize the uniqueness and darkness of your valley. You see, all of our valleys are not the same. And so there's not just one answer. Comparing rarely hurts. And I want you to write this down. The truth is, dark valleys can be very scary. Dark valleys can be very scary. They're scary because there's real danger that goes along with dark valleys. In fact, I was reading a a guy, some of you maybe have heard of him, his name is John Davis, but he would say that actually there are places in the terrain where David would have been a shepherd, where there would have been valleys, and in those valleys there was crevices and caves, and in those crevices and caves in the darkness of those valleys would have been a great place for predators and robbers to hang out, and there was real danger in those valleys. And so those dark valleys were scary places because there was real danger. Listen close. Some of you need to hear what I'm getting ready to say, but, 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 but. What becomes more frightening sometimes than the actual danger in those valleys is sometimes the shadows that those valleys cast. 
Because what happens when you walk through a dark valley that is casting shadows all over the place, shadows, think about this with me for a minute, shadows have a way of magnifying and over-amplifying what is really real. I know this firsthand because I had an experience where this happened to me. When I was 12, everybody say out loud 12. I want you to remember, it wasn't yesterday, it was when I was a boy, okay? But when I was 12, I was part of this group of boys, and this group of boys, these men would take us on camping extras, making men of us, right? It just so happened I was 12, I don't know if I said that or not, and I was one of two that was 12, we were the oldest ones in the group. We were the oldest ones in the group. The rest of them were young bucks. They were 10 and 11, right? And so we were with this group of boys, and the rest of them were young, and we convinced our leaders we're almost men, right? We're 12 years old, and so we're going in the mountains. I grew up in the mountains of Pennsylvania. We're going to camp out. And so we had convinced our leaders it's time for us to break away from the pack. We can do this on our own. We're going to go way up in the mountain. We're going to do this by ourselves on our own. We don't need your help. We don't need your protection. Just me and my buddy, we're going to go do this. The leader's like, that's cool, man. You got to be a man. Let's go do it. And so me and my buddy up the mountain, we went obscure all by ourselves to our own place. The rest of those little 10 and 11-year-olds, they're down there with the leaders where things were safe. And we were loving life. Pitched our tent, did a great job building a fire, made some sassafras tea, stuff like that. We're cooking supper, having a great time. To all of a sudden, all of a sudden, everything changed when the sun went down. You're laughing because you know it to be real and true. Things sound and look different in the dark. Can I get one amen in the room? They just do. And so we're 12 and we're like, we're cool. No big deal. We're almost men. Like, no big deal. We're around the fire and it came time. I said, you know, we ought to get in the tent and get our stuff laid out so we're ready when it comes time to like cash it in for the night. And so both of us get in the tent. Fire's still going a little bit out there. And we get in the tent. I'm rolling out my sleeping bag and I look to the side of that tent. My buddy's over here. And against the panel of that tent, you know what I saw? I seen me a bear. Yeah, it wasn't funny. <laughs> I'm telling you. I seen a bear. And I looked at my, I, said, I hit him. I'm like, man, that's a bear. I remember my friend looked at me and he said, oh, my goodness, Dan, what do you think we ought to do? I said, I'm not sure, but here's what I'm going to do. Let's run, is what I said. And down the mountain we ran as fast as we could go. I left everything that was mine there, and we found our leaders, the rest of those little punky 10 and 11-year-olds, and we said, guys, there's a bear up there. I'll never forget my leader saying, hey, man, I'm glad you did the right thing, got out of there. Let's go back up and get your stuff so you can come down here. We won't tell anybody. And we took the walk of shame back up to our tent, got in our tent, and leader's out there waiting for us, and I'm in there rolling my sleeping bag up. And lo and behold, I seen me that bear again. And I peeked my head around that tent. I told the leader, I said, that bear is right there. And just so happened, that bear happened to be a chipmunk. <laughs> And you laugh because it's funny when it's a chipmunk, not a bear. But when you're walking through your dark valley, you know what happens? You have a way of magnifying your problems. They seem bigger than life, borrowing trouble, exaggerating your anxiety. You see, dark valleys are scary. They, they just are scary. Here's what else I know what, about dark valleys. Dark valleys should be walked through, not lived in. He says, even though I walk through... They're places that we pass through. They're not places we pitch our tent. Dark valleys are not meant for us to pitch our tent in. They're meant for us to pass through them. 
You see, here's what I know. Dark valleys are temporary. Even if my valley lasts my entire life, compared to eternity on God's timeline, it's a short blip. 2 Corinthians 4, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Which points to another thing, which is going to be hard for some of you to write down, and that's okay. Do it anyways. Some of you aren't going to feel what I'm getting ready to say. That's okay. Write it down anyways, and that's this. Dark valleys have purpose. Dark valleys have purpose. They, they, they just do. In Psalm 23, he says he, he's got this shepherd and sheep kind of imagery going on. And here's what would have happened. Many times, sheep would have eaten off of a pasture land, and they would have sometimes eaten the pasture land bare. And left to their own devices, they would stay there and starve there. And so what the shepherd would have to do is take them from bare pasture through the valley to a place where they could survive and thrive. Tracking? So he'd have to take them through the valley so that they could get to a place where they could eat because if they were left where they were at, they would starve. It's interesting, isn't it? You see, I've been a pastor for over 20 years. And I can tell you, I know this not simply to be a principle from God's word, but I can tell you from experience that I have sat with tons of people in their dark valley. There are weeks it feels like it's daily. I've sat with people in the dark valley of loss, the grief of someone who's died. I've sat with people navigating the dark valley of suicide, drug overdose and abuse. I've sat with people in the dark valley of domestic violence. I've sat with people in the dark valley of incarceration. I've sat with families literally as they stood in their front yard and watched their house burn to the ground. I've sat with families as I've had the job to share with a wife and her daughter. By the way, your husband and your dad just died. I've sat with families in the dark valley of financial disaster, bankruptcy. I've sat with them in extreme poverty. I've sat with tons of families in dark valleys. I've even watched my own family walk through dark valley. And I can tell you something. Every last one of us either have or will walk through a dark valley. Listen close. Our dark valleys will not be the same. Neither will, neither will the way we walk through them necessarily be the same. There's something interesting. I need to tell you this. We got to go here. I've been doing this for over 20 years and I've sat with families who've walked through similar dark valleys and it's interesting to me how some families, there are some families that it tears them apart where other families, the dark valleys, are the very glue that holds them together. There are some people who walk through dark valleys and they become so angry at God they isolate whereas there's other people who they walk through dark valleys and it seems like their appreciation for God only grows. There are some people who walk through a dark valley and it ruins their faith, whereas other people it refines their faith. There are some people it pulls them closer to God, whereas there's other people who it pushes them further away from God. And it begs the question, okay, Dan, then what's the secret? Because I'm going to go through dark valleys. What's the secret to me walking through a dark valley in a way that refines me, pulls me closer to God, doesn't push me away, makes me better, not simply bitter? I think there's three things in this little verse. Three things, and we're done. That when I understand these three things, all of a sudden I begin to 
understand what it's like to navigate these valleys in a way that draws me to the shepherd, not away. Look what it says. He says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. very first thing I think David wants us to know is this. I want you to write this down. Deeper intimacy is experienced in dark valleys. Dark valleys will either push me to intimacy or they will push me to isolation. I'm going to say that again. Your dark valleys will either push you to deeper intimacy with God or they will push you to isolation. You're saying, Dan, help me understand that. Well, I'm glad you asked. I think we can see this right in the psalm. Look at the screen with me. I want to show you something fascinating. Psalm 23. Everywhere there's a bold, underlined word, I want you to read it out loud, okay? Can we do that? Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Makes me lie down in green pastures. Leads me beside quiet waters. Refreshes my soul. Guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Look here a second. And then David says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into the dark valleys. And when you get to this point in Psalm 23, the whole thing changes. You're saying, Dan, what do you mean? Look, everywhere there's bold underline, you read, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Rod and staff, they comfort me. Look here a second. I just want to tell you this. When David goes through the dark valley, you ready? He stops simply talking about God and he starts talking to God. Dark valleys are where deeper intimacy is experienced. It's in the dark valleys that we face where your personal statement of faith begins to be real. Where the theology or what you believe about God isn't something you simply declare, but you experience. I'm going to even get more personal. It's in the dark valleys where all the songs that we just sang, which we love, love Pastor Aiden, he leads us, love the tune, we get, man, I love it. But if you paid attention to the three songs he led us in this morning, all of them, all of them begin to talk about a God who leads us when I don't totally understand, when I've lost courage, when I'm not sure, I trust and believe you'll never let go. It's in the dark valleys where those songs we sing aren't songs we simply sing, but they become the anthem of our soul. You see, it's in the dark valleys that we experience and cultivate an intimacy because in that valley, the shepherd is present. It's in the darkness of trauma and horrific, inexplicable crisis where we know there is a shepherd present and it drives me into, not away from, a God who is wiser than me, knows more than me. It's in the middle of the darkness of my stupidity that I'm driven into the presence of a God who's in that valley with me. And I know he's not against me, he's for me. He's a father. It's in the middle of the dark valley of injustice. I'm driven into the wise chambers of a just God who's in the valley with me and he's always gonna do the right thing. It's in the middle of the darkness of my loss and my grief. I'm driven to the presence of a God who suffered with me. Listen close. And didn't just suffer with me. Suffered for me. Here's what that God said in Isaiah 43. He said, when you go through deep waters, I'll be with you. Last week, 
I shared some things, and to be honest with you, the most surprising feedback that I got from last week, and I, I received it over and over again, was this. I had people come to me and say, wow, Dan, I so appreciate you sharing your personal struggle. I had no idea that you struggle. I want to clear that up. The fact of the matter is, I struggle just like you do. I get afraid just like you do. I battle weekly depression like some of you do. There's times when I feel despair. There's things that make me angry. There's injustices that have happened to me that to this day I don't have answers for, no vindication from. I can tell you this, I struggle just like you. My valley's different. The details are different. I'm not trying to compare my valley with yours, but I will tell you this. The valley I shared with you last week that I walked through was about a decade ago. About. In the middle of that valley, I've shared this with you before, I came one decision away from stepping away from being a pastor altogether. I wanted nothing to do with it. I was disenfranchised, discouraged. I wanted nothing to do with it. It was during that time that I was encouraged to run into, not away from, the presence of my shepherd. If you came into my office, and you're not allowed to do this, but if you did, you'd see in one of my desk drawers this little brown book. This little brown book I keep in my desk drawer because if you opened it and read it, and I'm not going to let you, but you would find a pastor who stopped talking about God. And he started talking to God. You would see a pastor who literally cried out with questions that to this day he still doesn't have answers for. You'd see words in here of brokenness, just, just absolute brokenness. You would find words of anger. I was angry. I was rereading it this morning. I was like, I didn't realize how angry I was. But I can tell you this, that in here you'll find a pastor who stopped talking about God and he began talking to God. Listen close, some of you are in a dark valley. I would never choose to go through that again, ever. Some of you have not been through a dark valley and you're like, I don't know that this applies, dial in right now. Dark valleys are inevitable. And in the middle of the darkness of your valley, you have a shepherd and that shepherd begs of you to run into him, not away from him. Some of you know this because you're parents. Some of you maybe don't, but I'll tell you as a parent, I have three kids that I love. There have been times and are times when they become very, very angry with me. I know it's hard to imagine, right? I will tell you as a dad, here's what I desire more than anything that even in their anger, when they're angry at me, what I desire is not that they isolate, run away, and cut themselves off from me, but I would rather them come process that anger in my presence because it's in my presence with me when we have the chance to process and rehearse and understand that that can refine me. 
You see, here's the deal. Some of you are angry with God. He's a shepherd. It's like, I want you not to isolate, but to run into me right now. Because you might experience an intimacy if you run into him with your questions that may not have answers that you never dreamed possible. And you might be somebody who begins talking to God, not simply about God. I will tell you something. I meet all kinds of people, and there are all kinds of people who grew up in church, and they can tell you all the canned answers about God. But there's something different when you sit there and you talk to somebody who tells you about their conversation with God. Their conversation with God when they weren't sure how they were going to take the next step. You see, deeper intimacy is experienced, but there's something else. Look what it says. It says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The staff is what the shepherd used to guide the sheep to make sure they went the right way. And it was in the dark valley when he needed that more than any other time because they couldn't really see where they were going and they needed the shepherd to direct them. Listen close. I think true and genuine faith is built in dark valleys. I want you to write it this way. Greater faith is built in dark valleys. Greater faith is built in the dark valleys of my life. God builds your faith in the dark valleys of life. Jesus' half-brother, James, said it this way, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kind. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. It's in the valley of despair, loneliness, inexplicable questions. The shepherd asks us to trust his voice. I'm going to tell you some things that I just need to say them. Faith is not having all the answers to all my questions. Say it again. Faith is not having all the answers to all my questions. But faith, faith is walking, obeying, even when I don't have answers to my questions. Faith is not denying how I feel. That's not faith. You have to be real about how you feel. But faith is walking even though I feel the way I feel. And trusting. You see, my faith is built in the valley. Yesterday, in this room, we celebrate the life of a lady whose name was Reba. It was interesting because they played a song. And I listened. I'd never heard the song, if I'm honest. So I went and Googled it, and the words are interesting. Listen to these words. Life is easy when you're up on the mountain. You've got peace of mind like you've never known, but things change when you're down in the valley. Don't lose faith, for you're never alone. For the God on the mountain, he's the God in the valley. And the God of the good times, he's still the God in the bad times. The God of the day is still the God in the night. Then it goes on to say, we talk of faith way up on the mountain. Talk comes so easy when life's at its best. Now down in the valleys of trials and temptations, that's where your face really put to the test. For the God on the mountain is the same God in the valley. Let me just say this. I think that song simply points to this. It's easy to trust God and love people like he tells us to do when we're on the mountain and everybody around us is lovable. That's easy. But all of a sudden you get dropped in a dark valley around people that are unlovely and hard to love. And he said, I want you to trust me. 
it's easy to trust God and be patient, because he says be patient, when everybody's around you very tolerable to live with. You get dropped in the dark valley of work, neighbors that are like sandpaper in your life. And all of a sudden, that's where faith gets built. It's easy to trust God and be content when you have everything you want. That's easy. But when you walk through the dark valley where everything that you had is taken away, he says, I want you to trust me. You see, your faith, my faith, is built in the valley. That's where he works because Proverbs 3 says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's great. But then he says something else, lean not on your own understanding. Why does he say that? Because listen, in the valley, I can't see where I'm going. And you know what happens when you're in the valley? You get scared. And you know what some of us do? We stop. We get paralyzed in the valley and we just stop. And he says, this is no place to pitch your tent. I know you can't see what next year brings. I know you can't see what next week brings. But I'm asking you to trust me right now. But I've never been here before. Trust me. But I don't know where this is. Trust me. But it seems so dark and I don't know and I'm uncomfortable. And he says, trust me now. Because if you acknowledge me, I'll direct your paths. Some of you right now are in a valley and you've stopped. And he's like, this is not where you need to pitch your tent. He said, this is where faith is built, in a valley. Deeper intimacy, greater faith. I want you to write this down, then we're done. Something else about the valley, and that's this. Hope becomes real in dark valleys. Why? Because the shepherd's with me, guides me with a staff, protects me with his rod. Let me just cut to the chase on this. Buzzword in our culture, hope. Everybody wants hope right? Hope is a piece of cake when you're on the mountain. When you're leading a rally, everybody's, woo, hope. Different when you're in the dark valley. And that's when hope becomes real. It's in the valley of the shadow of death when hope becomes real. You see, hope becomes real when I realize two things. You can write these down if you want, but there's two things I realize about shadows. The valley of the shadow of death first is shadows can't hurt me. Shadows can't hurt me. That's interesting to me because the greatest shadow that Satan casts is the shadow of the fear of death. And Hebrews 2 says this, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, so Jesus became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of Satan, who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who live their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. You see, Satan likes to cast the shadow of death. Shadows can't hurt me. Reminds me of a story, a guy named Donald Barnhouse. You can forget that, but his, he was a pastor in Philadelphia, and his wife died, and he had three young children. And so they went to the funeral. They're driving home from the funeral, and he's like, I've got to make sense of this for my kids, but I'm not sure how. So as they're driving this way, passing them this way, was a moving truck. And as that moving truck passed them, the shadow of that truck overshadowed the car. And then it dawned on him, and he asked his kids a question. He said, hey, I have a question. 
what would you guys rather pass over our car? The shadow of that truck or the truck itself? The kids knew the answer to that question. said, Daddy, Daddy, we want the shadow. It can't hurt us. And then Donald Barnhouse said this. Did you know that 2,000 years ago, the truck of death ran over Jesus in order that only its shadow might run over us? You see, the shepherd who carries the rod through the dark valley carried the cross to Calvary so that the truck of death would run him over. But there's something else about shadows. You know this just by observing, and that's this. Anywhere there's shadows, I can count on the fact there's light. There is no shadows if there's not light. And one of the things the Bible is very plain about is this, is that Jesus is the light that gives life. D.L. Moody said it this way, the valley of the shadow of death holds no darkness for the child of God. There must be light, else there could be no shadow. Jesus is the light. He has overcome death. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod, your staff, they bring comfort to me. I'd love for you to do me a favor this morning. I'd love for nobody, if at all possible, to leave and move around. But I'd love for you to to bow your heads. You can close your eyes if you want. I'm going to invite the band to make their way out. You don't have to close your eyes. I just want you to get in a space where you can be free from distraction and think about you and your life. And it could be that you're here this morning and you're like, you know something, Dan? I love Psalm 23, but I don't think the Lord is my shepherd because I've never acknowledged him as the lamb. And and if that's you, can I just say that, like, I'm so glad you're here. You, You might be here and you're like, man, the biggest struggle that I face is I've got all this crap in my life, this dirt, this stink I'm trying to outrun, and I think if I could just do a little better, and and if I maybe go to church a little more, and, and I'm here to tell you something, that's not the way it works. But the power of Psalm 23 is there was a shepherd who became your lamb, took your place, all that stuff in your life, all that dirt, all that guilt, all that regret, he died for all of that. And this morning, the shepherd's invitation to you is simply this. He's saying, would you put your faith and trust in me? Would you say yes to me as Savior? The moment you do, there's forgiveness, there's identity, there's, you're part of the family. I'm your shepherd. There's a whole bunch of you in the room. You'd be like, yeah, I've done that. But if you were honest, some of you, some of you this morning are in a dark valley truth is some of you aren't and, and, and I would beg of you to pay attention because the time to decide what you're going to do is not in the middle of the valley James said consider it pure joy before you get to the valley but some of you right now are in a dark valley and you're letting it isolate you from God in the shepherd this morning is saying no no I want you to run into me not away from me but I'm angry at you and he's like I know I know I can handle that I would rather you run into me but it seems like there's more questions than answers. And he's like, I know, I know, I want you to run into me. But it seems unjust, I know, I know. But I want you to run to me. For some of you this morning, there's things that have happened to you that are inexplicable. Others of you, it's valleys of your own choice. And 
in that valley with you as a shepherd and he's working and he's leading and he's guiding and this morning his his prayer his desire his his wish for you is that you would run to him experience an intimacy you've never experienced to begin talking to him and not just about him to begin experiencing this relationship not just a religion some of you he's doing his deepest work and this is not going to make you feel any better and I already know that because you need to be real about how you feel but the truth is your darkest valley might be your greatest opportunity to help others at some point in time I don't know when I don't know how and and I'm not saying that it's a trite superficial way that makes you feel different and happy but it's true that greater faith is built in the valleys and So God, I am grateful this morning that even in the valleys, we have a shepherd who's present. So we're going to sing a song and your head's bowed. And if you want to close your eyes, if you want to just stay seated, you can just listen. You can join if you want. You don't have to. You can simply talk to your shepherd. But God, I pray that somehow the psalm of the shepherd and the hope in the valley would somehow fall across our hearts and our minds in a way that would ignite, give confidence, give hope, build faith, draw us into a deeper place of understanding.